Hi Alice, welcome to episode 6 of the Hi Alice podcast. Uh, I'm recording this on Sunday the 21st of August 2022 AD. Today I wanted to share with you um, just a, a small little anecdote from my childhood, which I think is quite funny, but nobody's ever really appreciated it. And I, th- I think to appreciate it, Unfortunately, you have to know a little bit about the history of wrestling fandom. Um, and so I thought I would just give you a, a do that for you today. <laughs> Hopefully that'll be interesting. So yeah, I'm going to just do a brief history of wrestling fandom. Just uh, I've not like researched it. I'm just going to kind of do it off the top of my head. I did have, at one point, I had plans of writing about this topic for my dissertation, but I don't really think I had a much of a point to make I think it would have just been I just found it interesting the evolution of it basically but I don't really think I had a a point beyond that I might have won points for the fact that I don't think many people have written about wrestling academically I mean some people will have I found at uni doing a humanities degree if you were to hand in an essay that was going to be different to what other people were going to hand in you got points automatically uh, I remember I did a module called Film and Cultural Politics, and we were mainly dealing with black black films and black identity. And so, for one of the essays, everyone did about about that basically some 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 sort of aspect of that, you know, something that had maybe come up in the reading. And I did it about Woody Allen and self deprecating humor and Jewish masculinity and using humor to assimilate and to placate. Uh, whiteness, I guess. So it's the same. It's the same methodology as the as if I was talking about uh, black culture or black masculinity. But it just meant I had to do some re- some separate research you know, around Jewish identity, around um, uh, humor theory. So a bit of I think I did a bit. I think I read a bit of Freud for that. A bit of um, for for the humor theory. Anyway, I'm. I mean, I didn't read everyone else's essays, but I would be pretty surprised. I got off because I got a first and. I generally got two ones, so I I don't know. Maybe it was just maybe it was a little bit better than my other essays, but anyway, a brief history of wrestling fandom. So here we go. So wrestling would have started as a it would have been an actual sporting event and it was closely linked with carnivals, that sort of thing, in America. It would have resembled more like what you see as MMA now, but it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been like MMA in, the, in that they wouldn't have been martial arts. They would have been what we call grapplers. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen like Olympic wrestling, which is called uh, amateur wrestling. So, you know, and it's got different. There's slightly different styles, like Greco style, but essentially grappling, and you're trying to control your opponent uh, to like, pin them to the mat, and it's and it's done on uh, a point scoring system. That's how wrestling would have started as a legitimate competition and a legitimate sport. Now, what would happen is you would have just genuine competition between people. You would also have this thing of you'd have a really good wrestler, and you'd say, "Oh, you know, ten bucks to anyone who can pin my wrestler," and then people from the crowd would try and do it. And obviously, if they weren't a trained wrestler they they wouldn't be able to do it because you just you just wouldn't be able to be an, an elite athlete but one of the things they started doing with that was to have plants in the audience so you'd have oh nobody could beat this wrestler but then you'd have one of your actual better wrestlers who was planted and then 
you know that's part of how it became a spectacle because it's then it's there's the element of predetermining things so what began to happen is you would have a kind of a champion wrestler and they would get more and more popular but you couldn't guarantee that they would win so that's what led to what what wrestling became which was a a predetermined entertainment spectacle because you had to be to, in order to build someone to market you had to be able to control their destiny and and basically make sure that they won so that's and that mixed with wanting to make the actual match be as entertaining as possible you had to have some sort of cooperation between the people now in these days as this started this would have been much 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 more like a legitimate competition in fact most of it would be legitimate and then just just imagine that you've got two boxers and they say right go in and have and, and they're about equally matched and you'd say right go in there just have a, a, a normal boxing match however in round eight you sir are to lose now that would still it would still be a legitimate competition now they wouldn't be absolutely going hell for leather trying to knock each other out because that's not what the plan is but it would still just be legitimate it wouldn't be it wouldn't be what would later be called you know phony or it would still be legitimate competition and in in that grappling style you're not really trying to hurt somebody in the same way that wrestling would simulate to become later and also one of the things about this was it was essential that your champion or that just anyone were actually legitimate that they could actually wrestle because let's say you built up somebody to be your champion wrestler and you just said to everyone right you need to lose to this person but they weren't actually that good and in reality they could never have beaten the people well what that left you open to was this thing that is still used to this day and it's called going into business for yourself in other words i've been i'm supposed to lose this match according to the promoter but in actual fact i'm better than this person and he can't stop me if i'm just going to win legitimately and then i'm the champion and so you couldn't have that and so the person that you picked to be your champion was legitimately a very good wrestler so that's how it worked in the early days now as time went on it became more about entertaining spectacle and basically as you go through the years the less you will see the simulation of resistance and the more you will see cooperation in other words they're not it almost gets to the point where it doesn't it doesn't look like anyone's trying to it looks like they're in, they're in collaboration whereas if you look at wrestling from the 50s 60s 70s they're still trying to make it look like you know somebody tries to pick somebody up to slam them and the other person is doing everything they can to stop them doing it and then if you look at some wrestling in the 90s onwards probably all the 80s onwards really somebody goes for a slam and you can clearly see that they're helping you know, they're almost jumping there's no there's no resistance to that and so you've got people who basically prefer that style of 70s backwards basically and, and, and as soon as you get beyond that and it becomes more about athleticism and like a quick pace but it doesn't actually really have anything to do with what wrestling originally was anymore and strikes are introduced because originally like the grappling wouldn't have had strikes it might have had a kind of forearm uppercut type thing but not or like a club clubbing blow with kind of your arm but not you know not punches and kickers 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 lol kicks like wrestling with 
<laughs> amused myself there. Um, like wrestling would have later on. The question around wrestling fandom, the main question is real or fake, and whether the people know that it's real or fake. Now, because it had its start in the carnival, it shared a lot of terminology with carnivals. And two words uh, I want to bring to your attention. One, kayfabe. Now, kayfabe is staying in character as your wrestling character. Um, Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik may be friends with each other in real life. However, they won't be seen travelling together because that would be breaking kayfabe because they're both they're not supposed to like each other so that's what kayfabe is and kayfabe is just the overall presentation of wrestling as a real and legitimate sport and the other word as it pertains to wrestling fandom is mark now a mark that could be used that that's something a con man might say or in in the in the world of carnival you know you've got a crooked shooting game that doesn't have a ac- accurate sight you're looking for marks to play that game. In in the world of wrestling, that's what they would call the fans. They would call them marks because they're tricking them. Essentially, they're they're getting them emotionally in, invested into this thing that is not what it is, what it appears to be, because it is a uh, it's the simulation of competition. It is not actual competition. So that suggests that there's always been this kind of uneasy relationship between wrestling and its fans, where it's where everything's not quite on the up and up. However, it is a tricky area to research when it comes to did people know it was fake or not? I don't really like that word, but let, but you know, let's just use it for the context of this. Did people know the true nature of it? And from what point did they did they know that? Because obviously it starts off as legitimate and then slowly turns into what it turns into. So it's actually really difficult to pinpoint that and to gauge how many people knew it wasn't, how many people thought it was, and throughout the decades how that changes. That's actually very difficult to gauge indeed, and you can only really go by what how wrestling was presenting itself. From the kind of 90s onwards, it's very clear when it stops presenting itself as legitimate competition, um, but before that, it really does portray itself as legitimate, but you can find news articles from even the 50s talking about how wrestling is fake. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's uh, that that's the common belief. That could just be like a you know a clued in journalist who's saying, yeah, this is fake, but doesn't mean that people believed believed him. And arguably, it wouldn't have been as popular as it was at that time if people believed it to be fake because it was presenting itself as a real sport. So that's the draw of it. Whereas now it presents itself as entertainment, so it's a draw for entertainment reasons. You don't have to believe that it's that it's real. You know, it works better when you can suspend your disbelief, as with as with anything. You know, if you go and see a, you don't want to go and see a Batman film and then you know, take off the mask and say, "Hi, I'm Christian Bale. I'm just an actor." You know, like you you wouldn't have that. You want that to be presented as if it's uh, real within the world of the film. But we can kind of uh, agree. To some, to some degree at least, that people did believe that it was real and ex- and that's how it was presented. And that was what you were a fan of. You were a fan of this real fighting competition that was, that was called wrestling. Now, I'm going to shift over to kind of the 90s because that's when I was a kid and that's when I'm growing up. So that's what I can kind of speak to 
with uh, with a bit more authority than the than the earlier stuff. Now, when I was a kid, wrestling the main wrestling there was two companies. There was the WWF, which is now known as the WWE. That was called the World Wrestling Federation, and there was WCW. That was World Championship Wrestling. So the WWF is the one that I watched. And this, and this is the one that has now emerged as the big winner. Basically, like it, WCW eventually went out of business, so WWF became WWE, and it is now essentially the only big company. There's a, there's some smaller companies, but so they're what really defines wrestling fandom, as as I'll talk about it here, because yeah, it's, it'd be too complicated to go through all of the ones. But so in the nineties, they really were aimed at kids, which becomes interesting later because it's aimed at kids so obviously kids are gullible <laughs> so we're going to believe it that it's real because it's because why wouldn't we you know even though the actual in-ring stuff a lot of it doesn't look com compared to a, a match from the 70s it doesn't look legitimate and a lot of it's not even kind of wrestling anymore you know if you watch a, a Hulk Hogan wrestling match he's not going to be doing much that could be compared to actual grappling, actual, you know, like the car the carnival days of, of actual wrestling. More unbelievable than ever that this is actually a legitimate competition and they've got all sorts of outlandish, like, comic book-type characters. And one of the interesting things about Hulk Hogan, actually, and the kind of passing of the torch of the two eras is when he first became um, the champion he was to defeat the Iron Sheik. This was in the mid-80s. And a rival promoter had offered the Iron Sheik a lot of money to not lose to Hulk Hogan so that Hulk Hogan's path to stardom would be derailed and to break his leg instead of uh, instead of losing to him. And the Iron Sheik was from, from Iran and he was a legitimate Olympic-level um, wrestler and Hulk Hogan was a bodybuilder, so he wasn't, he was not a legitimate wrestler. I'll just do a little sidebar on that, actually. In fact, in terms of wrestling, in terms of getting into wrestling, there was no such thing as a wrestling school. You had to be brought in by somebody else. That was the kind of level of secrecy around it, and quite often you would go, if you turned up at one of these places, they would just really, really legitimately hurt you. It's called to stretch you, and it basically means putting you in all sorts of submission moves, arm bars, all the, all of this stuff, and basically making you not want to ever come back. And then your only thought of wrestling is just like, oh my God, you know, this is just, this is uh, horrible. <laughs> like they, 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 These men are very, very tough men, and you wouldn't think it's not real after that because you went and you got really hurt. And when Hulk Hogan first tried to get into wrestling, I believe he went to, I believe he went to a Japanese, what would have been called a dojo, be wrong about that but i think it's japanese and they did actually they broke they broke his leg when they were doing that stuff and so he he just thought oh i'm i'm not a good wrestler because they've they've been he didn't realize until years later that they had done it on purpose it was to keep people out basically keep people out of the business who weren't going to take it very seriously because another thing that i kind of forgot to mention was people would have to protect the business and protecting the business meant somebody comes up to you in a bar and they're like oh you're just a phony wrestler you're just a fake wrestler they had to beat them up they had to they had to that was called protecting the business now there are there are documented stories of this happening and things that almost certainly did happen there's also a lot of people just talking about that 
and oh you go into a bar and this this will happen which is kind of just like Billy Big Potatoes talk. How much of that actually went on is is up for debate. Bef- before they've announced that wrestling isn't real, when the, when the WWF did that, you can see on talk shows, talk, uh, talk show, they'll they'll put the question to them like, "Is this fake?" And you can see them getting uncomfortable. And there's two really famous instances. One is an incident with a wrestler called David Schultz, where he basically just starts open palms slapping this journalist who asked him if it was fake and he was just like does that feel fake used to be tag team partner of eddie mansfield a wrestler who's just told us how every match is fake i asked schultz questions that i assume all wrestlers have been asked dozens of times what is this a good business yeah it's a good business i wouldn't be in it if it wasn't why is it a good business because only the tough survive that's the reason you ain't in it and this punk holding the camera reading he ain't in it reading these rednecks out here ain't in it because it's a tough business that's terrific wait is that all you got I'll ask you the standard question, you know? Standard question. I think this is fake. You think it's fake? What's that? Is that fake? Huh? What the hell's wrong with you? That's open hand slap, huh? You think it's fake? Obviously, that caused quite a furore because he hurt the guy. And then another time, Hulk Hogan put, who was it? Geraldo Riviera? I think it was him. He just put him in like a sleeper hold, which is basically a, a choke. And uh, yeah, he passed out and just like fell like a sack of potatoes on the floor, like in the middle, you know, in the middle of a middle of a talk show. Uh, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, we had a very ugly incident here last week on the show. Um, Hulk Hogan and Ms. T were here, and um, uh, Hulk Hogan did a demonstration, and he he hurt me real bad. I split my head open, and I was knocked unconscious, and so on. So um, just to show that I'm not a part of their promotional tool, and this was real, I want you to take a look at this clip. And keep in mind, this was real. Take a look at it, and remember, I had no idea what was about to happen. And I'll be right back. Now, the first thing you need to know about amateur wrestling... Yes? ...or professional wrestling or submission holds. <laughs> you just tell me, brother, when you want him to quit squealing, okay? All right. It's called a front chin lock. <laughs> How about it, T? Keep him like that for a little while. Because <laughs> he's all right. He's just sleeping. He's sleeping. Really, that's, I, was, I was asleep a hole. He'll be all right. He's waking up now. That was a serious right, A lot of people. <laughs> See, it works. Yeah. All right, brother. <laughs> you know, if you're watching that and you're like, oh, okay, well, he did just choke him out and this guy's, you know, so you may, yeah, you, you probably would feel it was a bit more legitimate and then just before they were to announce it i can remember because i was a little kid you know you might have some wrestler appear on nickelodeon or something like that and a little kid would say is wrestling real and they would say the skills are real the injury is real the the pain is real i wouldn't advise trying to get body slammed <laughs> it's uh, it doesn't feel very pleasant and uh, yeah the Hulk Hogan thing with the Iron Sheik goes back to this thing of you've got to have a legitimate champion and because it's going it's got more towards this thing of entertainment you've got Hulk Hogan who's not a legitimate champion in terms of this these carnival days you know somebody like the Iron Sheik could have gone into business for himself that day and uh, and just took the belt he he didn't in the end he decided not to and, and Hulk Hogan won and and uh on went on went that now one of the reasons that the wwf at the time did decide to just just to say just to stop basically trying to pretend that it was real was because when they actually went into different states different places as they would travel through america 
they actually had to report to the athletic commission because it's a real you're presenting it as a real sport and so you've got that kind of headache of actually having to go for a rigmarole of pretending this is a real sport and then you've and then there's all sorts of things like opening up the wrestlers to like drug testing and and so it got to the point where they were just like look we don't want to have to deal with the athletic commission the feeling was that kids probably didn't know it was the nature of it fake if you if you know i don't like that word but i'll, I'll use it for yeah kids didn't want kids believed it but that maybe the adults didn't as the 90s were getting a bit later on these kids were getting that bit older and so it was it was this thing where they're going to get to the point where they're going to know it's not real especially because the style of wrestling in the 90s now if you if you kind of scrutinize it it is pretty easy to see that okay that he's punching this person full blast in the face he's booting this person full blast in the face and then that person is wrestling the next night and he hasn't got a bruise gets to that point where it really is uh yeah it's hard it's hard to kind of be like okay is is this is this that yeah i don't think this is real i think they're i think they're in cahoots here the wwf would just kind of then openly say like yes this is in fact the the owner vince mcmahon banned the word wrestling from being used even though they were called the world wrestling federation he shifted over and called it sports entertainment and that's that's the that's the kind of cutoff point there was wrestling and now there's sports entertainment and yeah they would openly say and he he came out and he did this uh, speech about how he felt that wrestling fans were tired of having their intelligence insulted uh with these corny storylines of good guys versus bad guys and it has been said that anything can happen here in the world wrestling federation but now more than ever truer words have never been spoken this is a conscious effort on our part to open the creative envelope so to speak in order to entertain you in a more contemporary manner even though we call ourselves sports entertainment because of the athleticism involved the key word in that phrase is entertainment the wwf extends far beyond the strict confines of sports presentation into the wide open environment of broad-based entertainment. We borrow from such program niches like soap operas, like the days of our lives, or music videos such as those on MTV, daytime talk shows like Jerry Springer and others, cartoons like the King of the Hill on Fox, sitcoms like Seinfeld, and other widely accepted forms of television entertainment. We in the WWF think that you, the audience, are quite frankly tired of having your intelligence insulted. We also think that you're tired of the same old simplistic theory of good guys versus bad guys surely the era of the superhero who urged you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely passe therefore we've embarked upon a far more innovative and contemporary creative campaign that is far more invigorating and extemporaneous than ever before even though they pretty much did continue with that simple premise most of the time and so what you've got in terms of wrestling fandom is you've got people who used to believe it's real some people would drop out once they find out it's fake however some people would continue on and so you've got this that that's where i find the evolution of the fandom interesting because then you've got people who are fans of not a real competition but how these performers put together the matches and then it becomes an appreciation of storytelling which is what I liked about it as I got older. When I was a kid, I believed it was real. Then you come to appreciate the storytelling, the psychology of of a match, the yeah, the mix of the mix of the psychology and the athleticism, and like the excitement of that, the simulated competition 
being more satisfying to watch than when two people are resisting. Because if two people are resisting, then you don't see like spectacular things because they're going to stop each other from doing spectacular things. But when they are, but when they are actually collaborating, but still doing it in a way where they are simulating some resistance, just hit the microphone then, so that'll probably, then it can become this really beautiful thing to watch. You know, when the matches are really good. Now, not every match. Or it hard, you know, maybe even hardly any matches like aspire to that where I would actually call it a thing of beauty and a thing of art. But you know, some some do, and when they do, I think it is a worthy, a worthy, well, a worthy art form, really. So you've got the fans who now and they're interested. So they're interested in that. They're interested in the storylines. They're interested in the emotions. Uh, the they they buy into it. The, the spectacle of, of of the whole thing. What also starts to happen is that some of the people who are older start to become more interested in the like politics of the backstage and the stories behind the story and the personalities behind the story and who's really being an asshole backstage and who's doing this and who's doing that. And also they become what would you would say that the person who is writing all the storylines and coming up with who's champion, who's going to win. That was traditionally called a booker. Hit the microphone again. That was traditionally called a booker. And what would happen is you'd get these fans who'd watched for years and then they would become more interested in this booking process and they would be they would be called armchair bookers. And so they'd be saying, oh, this wrestler deserves a push, which means he's going to start to win matches. He's going to start to be featured on TV. We're going to put him into high profile positions that's called getting a push or oh this this wrestler's getting buried which is the opposite of a push like he's going to start to lose matches we're going to feature him less and less he's not the crowd aren't responding to him he's not popular um and so you'd get these armchair bookers who would be like oh so and so shouldn't be champion this person should be champion or oh this is interesting they've decided to give this guy the championship i wonder what that will mean for wrestlemania or whatever so so the fandom again evolved into into that sort of thing where people are more interested in yeah almost critiquing it you know as if they you know when you watch your football team you might say oh why is why is um steve bruce playing the 4-4-3 when he should be playing a christmas tree formation um you know there's there's that level of fandom where it seems like people are more interested in just uh, being critical all the time 1997 is a really pivotal year in the history of wrestling a lot of people now knew it wasn't real well you had to be you had to kind of be willfully willfully misinterpreting what was going on to know it wasn't real at this point because it was um openly acknowledged that it that it was um you know the nature of it that it was sports entertainment i mean they even had they used to have a a warning that would come up about not trying it at home and they would say yes this this is entertainment but the hazards are real the injuries are real like don't try this at home so yeah they wouldn't i mean nowadays wrestlers are allowed to just to be themselves outside of wrestling like on their instagram and twitter and whatnot they can just openly not be their wrestling character people would still be their wrestling characters you still wouldn't get a, a good guy wrestler hanging around with a bad guy wrestler or traveling with him or something like that at this point they were still trying to present it i find that this interesting thing because it's you, you you've let go of this illusion but as i say 
for me as a fan, I want to be, I want, I want to believe, <laughs> you know, that's the fun of it. If I can't, if I can't believe in it, then yeah, it's no different to any other work of fiction. If I, if, if I found it just completely unbelievable or yeah, even though, you know, it's, uh, you know, the nature of it, you still want to just suspend your disbelief. But so what you had in 1997 is you had a lot of adults who've grown up with wrestling who probably believed it was real when they were younger. Now they know it's not. And one of the weird things that came up from that was this thing called hardcore wrestling. And there was one particular company called ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling. And essentially, it just had real pain and real violence and extreme violence. So just chair shots right to the head, you know, barbed wire, baseball, bats, all sorts of just absolute crazy nonsense. And there wasn't really much wrestling going on. It was just like this absolute violence. And it was massively popular because people knew that it was real, that the actual violence was real. You know, it was still wrestling. It was still um, predetermined and, and all of that. It wasn't like they just went out there and started hitting each other with bats. But, well, I mean, essentially they did do that. And to me, there's no... It's such an interesting thing because, I mean, I've got no interest in that. That's just people hurting each other. Legitimately, I've got no interest in that. That's There's no kind of, I don't know, art to that. There's no... But it's just I just find that an interesting thing where you've got this fandom where it's like, okay, to keep me interested in this, there has to be some sort of nature of reality because otherwise I'm just like, oh, this is... This is... This is bull. And so what they did to appeal to that maybe jaded audience is to introduce just actual real violence which is a a very strange turn of events um, if you ask me but then because ECW got so popular the kind of bigger companies had to introduce those elements as well and then you just got to the point where it got more and more ridiculous and you had these crazy matches where people would be falling off ladders you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the famous Mick Foley being thrown off of the top of this Hell in the Cell structure. Oh my God! Look out! Oh But yeah, just these things where it's just like, oh, people are just actually getting hurt. A very strange turn of events, but again, I think it's it's linked with this wanting to have some belief in the reality of it. And you're like, okay, well, this, I know that this was real because he's actually just been hurt. There's no way to fake that. There's, uh, you know, there's another famous, um, there's a documentary called Beyond the Mat about somebody's wrestling fandom and in that they show you a match between The Rock and Mankind Mick Foley where The Rock just absolutely annihilates him with real chair shots like absolutely massively hard chair shots and there's nothing like there's I don't know like it just become like I'm, I'm not interested in things like jackass or whatever those things where it's just like oh these people have just really hurt themselves like I don't it doesn't I don't doesn't appeal to me, but obviously it did appeal to to a large 
group of the audience who, yeah, perhaps felt a bit conned when they found out it wasn't real. And maybe that's why they became interested in the kind of backstage politics and that sort of thing, because that stuff's real. And yeah, maybe it makes them feel more sophisticated because they're critiquing the product from a storytelling perspective and a business perspective uh, rather than just being a mark. And uh, these sort of fans are actually called, they're called smart marks um, because that's what it was called when you were in on the business. You were smart to the business. Um, and so these type of fans are derogatorily, uh, derogatorily, you know which word I mean, <laughs> called uh, smart marks. But the, the other incident in 1997 involved my favourite wrestler, Bret Hart, and it was called the Montreal Screwjob. Now, Bret Hart, Bret Hart had a rivalry with a wrestler called Shawn Michaels, and there's a really interesting documentary. Like, if you found any of this interesting whatsoever, and I apologise if not, um, then I would... You can watch... There's, I think it's on YouTube. Um, there's a documentary called Hitman Hart Wrestling With Shadows which remarkably captured this massive event in wrestling history, this really seismic event, um, and that will tell the whole story. But essentially, Bret Hart was the champion, and he was leaving to go to the rival WCW. In the, the WWF was a national company. Before that, wrestling was territorial. So you'd have Florida, you'd have Tennessee, all the different territories. And the wrestlers would go through the territories until basically you'd seen all the matches with them and the people kind of bored of him, they'd move on to the next territory. If you were the champion in the territory, you'd lose to the ne to the up-and-coming person in that territory in your last match. That was still the wrestling tradition. However, this was now a national company and Bret Hart really hated Shawn Michaels and didn't want to give him his title and refused to do it. And in his contract, he had reasonable creative control for his last 30 days. That was in his contract. So, yeah, he refused to lose to, to, to Shawn Michaels. Now, what this led to was the people in the WWF at the time, Vince McMahon and others around him, saying, well, if he's not going to give us the belt, we'll just take it from him. And so they did. They did a what was called a screw job, where Bret Hart was led to believe that the match was going to end in a disqualification and that he would come back out the next night and just hand the title over. And there was a point in the match at which Shawn Michaels put Bret Hart's own submission move on him, the sharpshooter. And it was agreed with everybody, apart from Bret, that at that point, the referee would ring the bell as if Bret Hart has submitted. Because, I don't know if you've seen it now, but now they tap out like in, in MMA, they tap out when there's a when there's a submission move, so there is a visual element to it. Back then, it was just the referee would just be would have to go and see whether the person said I submit, and so they just pretended that Bret Hart had said that, and so the the bell rang. Bret Hart lost the match, and again, this is all like documented in Wrestling with Shadows. But what's really interesting about this event is that it highlights so much about wrestling and wrestling fandom because people were making the point afterwards. It was like, well, Bret, you didn't actually. Like, you're calling this a screw job. You're saying you didn't really lose, but you didn't really win either. You never won that title. We, we, we scripted you to win the title. Being a champion is a real thing because if you're the champion, you make the most money, you're the most important person in the company, you get the most merchandise, so you want to be champion. Even though it's not a real sport and that championship doesn't mean that you've got an Olympic gold medal. Every single wrestler wants to be champion. That makes it real again. Not real from actual combat, 
this doesn't mean I'm the toughest man in the world, like it does if you've got the UFC championship, but it's just as important, taken just as seriously by all the wrestlers. And it means that rivalries become real. The rivalry between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. There's the simulated rivalry of which one of us is the best wrestler, if, as if this was real. And then there's the actual competition of which one of us is the best performer, which one of us is the best wrestler in terms of that, in terms of performance, in terms of how many fans we draw in, in terms of which one of us can put on the best matches, which means that will bring in bigger audiences. Which one of us is that? That's the real rivalry. And that's where wrestling becomes really fascinating for me in terms of that. Because it is collaboration. The two people want to put on the best match they can, and they need to collaborate with each other in order to do that. But there is competition. They want to look best. And so you get legitimate rivalry from that and legitimate competition but just in from a different point of view and I just find that quite fascinating but yeah I really do recommend the Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows documentary I've uh, I've never managed to get anyone <laughs> interested in it I've tried to watch it um with people but they've uh, yeah no no one's ever <laughs> been interested but yeah it's uh it's quite remarkable um just that it that it actually captured this this huge event some people believed that it, the whole thing was staged but yeah, it wasn't. But it just seemed like that because it was almost, it was just too perfect an ending for this documentary where it could have kind of been a reasonably perfunctory biographical documentary that also went into the nature of the wrestling business a bit. But then it just had this absolute massive event because Bret Hart would be somebody who would always protect the business even once it was talked about as if it that it's not real you you go back and listen to his interviews and he's and he just sounds like an mma fighter now like he sounds like he's just a legitimate sports person and he talk, he talks about it like that but then after this happened he he you know came out and said oh i wasn't supposed to lose they screwed me which is uh, like i don't know if you just think about that it's it's really crazy isn't it because it's just this thing of this is like a simulated thing they've screwed me and people are just like well what does that mean like so they've screwed what like <laughs> like it, because you you do screw screw job finishes as part of the storyline um, and you'll have wrestlers aggrieved like that but in storyline you know like oh this person cost me the match i mean that's you know that's an incredibly common thing in wrestling but to actually say oh no like we agreed backstage i was supposed to win and they and they didn't go through with that and you're trying to you're tr and you're expecting people to just be able to intuit. Oh yeah, that's that's bad. But it's like if you watch the documentary, you, you do kind of you, you you understand it more. If I'm not putting it across very well, anyway, that's a kind of that's just like a brief history of wrestling fandom. And I said all that just to set up this one little anecdote, which is now not going to be that good <laughs> because I've 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 had to set it up with this really long thing. But I think it's funny. But nobody else seems to when I tell them, and uh, and I don't, and I and I feel like it's because they don't understand wrestling history. <laughs> so that's why I wanted to give you a little uh, a little thing about wrestling history. But what it was is that okay, when me and my brother were young, we would wrestle. Okay, he's five years older than me. To get me to agree to like play wrestling with him, this would be in the back garden. To get me to agree, he would have to say in advance that he would let me win, okay? Also, we were simulating a match. We weren't trying to hurt each other. Like, I wouldn't have played if he was trying to hurt me because he was five years older and a lot 
bigger and tougher. You know, I wouldn't have agreed to wrestle with him if he was just hurting me. So we collaborated and we would plan things out before a match and we would try and make it look as good as we could. We would try and have psychology in the match. One of the most common pieces of psychology in the match is the heel or bad guy character will be beating the baby face, which is the good guy. Like, beating them, beating them, beating them, you don't think the baby face can come back. And then the baby face... And then the baby face does come back. And it's called a comeback. And you've probably... If you've ever seen a wrestling match, you would have seen it, where like they then start... They've got all this massive amount of energy, and they're flying around the ring, and you, they don't seem to be able to be hurt. Hulk Hogan's like a famous one, because he would he would do what's called hulking up, and he would start shaking, and then he would like point his finger at you and, and do like a no, and then like you couldn't hurt him, basically, at that point. And then he would do his big boot and leg drop and usually win the match um but yeah so we would even plan in that sort of thing so my brother would would be the heel and he'd be beating me and then there'd be a point at which i would come back in the match you know everything was fully collaborated on as i say we weren't trying to hurt each other we were for lack of a better word faking it so my mum would see us wrestling and she'd be like oh stop it you know like stop fighting and we'd be like we're not fighting like you know we're wrestling you know, it's all right. Don't worry. Like, just just watch. You just watch the match. This is a good match we're having here. <laughs> now, what would happen most of the time is that my brother would renege on his promise of letting me win, and just like the Montreal screw job, he would legitimately pin me, and there'd be nothing I could do, and I'd be really upset because I was like, oh no, I was supposed to win. Like, so yeah, maybe that's why the Montreal screw job, as it's called, uh, resonates me with with me so much. Um, oh, I don't know if you've ever heard my song. Uh, my song on... Is it on Miles to Go? On Miles to Go? No, it's on Everything Passes. Everything Passes, the album I did before this one. Um, it's also on streaming services, so you can check it out. But I've got a song called Montreal, which is about the Montreal screw job. Um, but anyway, you could you go and listen to that with this context, if you liked. The point of that story, and what I think is funny about it, is that at that point, me and my blood... Me and my brother, 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 believed wrestling to be real. We thought it was a real sporting fighting contest. But when we went to play wrestling, we didn't just have a fight, which is what we thought wrestling was. We didn't just have a fight. We pre-planned, we collaborated, we tried to make the match look good, from an entertainment perspective we had the psychology of a real fight in there we had characters that we presented ourselves as in these wrestling matches we didn't know that that's how wrestling actually worked what we were doing when we were playing wrestling was doing how the wrestling business actually worked we believed it to be real so if we were going to, if you said to us, let's go and have a real wrestling match, we would have just had a fight, which I would have lost. <laughs> However, not knowing any of that stuff about the wrestling business, that's just what we did as little kids. Like, I would have been about six, seven, so he's five years older, he'd have been, what, 11, 12. And I just, and to me, I find that so funny to look back on. And uh, nobody else does. <laughs> 
clear to my brother. I said this to him, and he's not interested. <laughs> so look, I'm just hoping that maybe you uh, find that slightly interesting. A slightly interesting, I don't even know what to call it, uh, parallel with, with, the, with the way wrestling really worked and what I did as a little kid, even though I believed it to be a legitimate competition. And I had to go through all of that other stuff to do with wrestling to get to that point. And uh, yeah, I hope that this was entertaining for you. I hope you're doing okay. Uh, yeah, much love. I will speak to you soon on and off the podcast. Goodbye. Well, I'm gonna test the microphone. I'm gonna see if it is working.